Well, amen, and uh, great singing this morning, uh, praising our Lord at His Advent. And of course, as we think about His first coming, we are uh, also thinking of His second coming and saying, uh, Come quickly, Lord Jesus, even as we think of Him reigning forever. Well, we end our Advent series uh, on this uh, last Sunday of December, speaking of his actual birth. You might find it a bit interesting. We're doing this two days after uh, we've already celebrated the Advent uh, together as families, but this is a good time for us to celebrate it together uh, as a church family gathered together here. And of course, we're uh, grateful for our brothers and sisters who are uh, at home and understand. Uh, their reasoning for having to be there, and there's no shame in that. We miss you, we love you, and we long for the day when we can all gather together again. Let's take our Bibles, though, and turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, we've looked over the past weeks at the reason that Christ came in Isaiah chapter 53, His humility in the incarnation in Philippians chapter 2, the perfect timing of His coming in Galatians chapter 4, and today... We will look at the event of his birth. And you can remain seated during the New Testament uh, scripture reading this morning. I'm going to read Luke chapter 2 verses 1 through 7 aloud as you follow along. But we'll be looking at verses 1 through 20 together this morning. Reading from the ESV this morning. Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went out to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. And wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. Would you join me once again in prayer? Lord, we believe that your Holy Spirit indwells your children, true believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we also believe that your Holy Spirit inspired these very words as we confessed earlier in our opening prayer. And we also believe that your Holy Spirit can, for believers, illuminate our eyes, Lord, to open our eyes and to open our hearts to the truths that we'll hear from your word this morning. And Lord, we pray that we would make application of these truths uh, even today and through the rest of this week and on into our lives as we continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know as well that your Holy Spirit convicts sinners, uh, Lord, and we pray for that conviction and comfort for believers, but we pray specifically for that conviction of the heart to those who do not know you, that they would today, for the first time, turn from their sin and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Recognizing that when we talk about things like applying these truths, we don't say that in order to in any way say that we earn favor with God, but because Christ has earned that favor for us and his righteousness has been imputed to us, we can obey. But they, Lord, need to turn to you today. 
and repentance and faith. And so we pray for that as well. So Lord, I pray that you would continue to humble me, get me out of the way. In Jesus' name, amen. As we are familiar uh, in studying the Gospel of John, we know very well how John, uh, in his prologue, expresses the idea of the incarnation of Jesus. And even as we've studied the Gospel of John together, we continue to come back and see how his prologue in John chapter 1 really uh, is a, a short version of what he unpacks in the rest of the gospel. But listen to me, if you would, uh, listen to me read John 1, 1 through 18, and just let's think about this again uh, this morning as we consider the advent, the, the birth of Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. <clears throat> In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who was at the Father's side. He has made him known. Though John does not give us a birth narrative as do Matthew and Luke, you must see the powerful statement here of the incarnation. The king of the universe humbling himself, as we have studied, and being rejected by those whom he made, as we have also studied in the Gospel of John. We're going to peer into this a bit in our study of Luke chapter 2. And the main thing I'd like for us to walk away with is this. And you, you can see this written on the back of your worship folder. It's, it's in the email that was sent to you, dear ones at home. Christ the King came into the world by humble means to save those who will, by God's grace, humble themselves before him. So we don't think of just those who rejected, but we think of those as well as John says to all who received him. He gave the right to become the children of God. Christ the King came into the world by humble means to save those who will, by God's grace, humble themselves before Him. We see this morning three elements of the birth of Jesus, or you could say the incarnation of Jesus. Three elements of the birth of Jesus. The first is this, a child is born by humble means. A child is born by humble means. We see this in verses 1-7, through which we just read in our New Testament reading. We see that God in His providence, through Mary and Joseph... Even though they are from Nazareth, they are in Bethlehem for 
the census. And right here at the outset of the Gospel of Luke, uh, in chapter 2, we begin to see how prophecy is being fulfilled. If you keep your finger in Luke and make a left-hand turn in your Bible to the book of Micah, chapter 5. We heard in our Old Testament reading this morning from the book of Zechariah, a messianic prophecy. Now in Micah chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, or the beginning of verse 5. Listen to what it says. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops, siege and lay against us with a rod. They strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, you are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord Yahweh, and the majesty of the name of the Lord Yahweh his God, and they shall dwell secure For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. Back over to Luke chapter 2, as kingly as this sounds, it is indeed complex. It takes many aspects of the eschatological plan of God and condenses it in, in, in Micah there. You, you see, as we look at this, as we now peer into the actual event of the birth of Messiah, the 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 coming of the eternal Son of God into the world, we see there is no grand entrance of the Messiah into the world. As we have studied previously, the means are humble. It says there was no place for them in the inn. This is not quaint. It's messy. It's broken. It's scandalous. In reality, Joseph and Mary are... Nobody's in the eyes of the world, but as Luke notes, Joseph is of the house and lineage of David, the kingly line into which Messiah must be born. And we know of Dr. Luke here, uh, the one who writes both the Gospel of Luke and Acts, that he is one who pays attention to the details and he speaks of, of, of researching this. And there are, uh, these details are necessary for the establishment of the validity of the matters that are stated. The point is this, as we mentioned last week, this is not how we think of a king arriving. The early hymn of the church that we studied together, which Paul uses in Philippians 2, 5-9, through in describing a pattern for our humility, reads, and, and we were reminded again this morning, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, a, a, a thing to be uh, held out and, 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 and paraded about. But he made himself of no reputation by taking the form of a servant, by being found in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the kind of death that is on the cross, a humiliating death. The very king of the universe, who according to Colossians chapter 1, in concert with John chapter 1, has made all things, comes as one he has made. Reading his 
one phrase, Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. That is, being very God of God, he did not use that to his advantage, but made himself of no reputation. As John the Apostle states, and as we've read, the Word, the second person of the Trinity, the the very eternal Son of God, became flesh and dwelt among, among us. He tabernacled among us. He threw in his lot with people like us. This is, this is first and foremost clearly seen in the first moments of the Incarnation. When He is born into humanity in the most humble of means, He did this for the glory of the Father and for the redemption of those who would repent and believe in His name to the glory of the Father. The Son of God, the Messiah, comes into the world like no one expected and lives a life like no one expected and dies a death at the hands of those who long awaited Messiah. And this is all in accordance with God's plan. We see the humble means by which the eternal Son of God comes into the world, as Luke describes it. But yet we see the eternal plan of God working itself out, that there would be this decree that Joseph and Mary, though they are from Nazareth, would make their way down to Bethlehem so that Micah 5 would be Fulfilled when Jesus is born. That he would be born unto one who is betrothed to Joseph. The legal line of Messiah, the house of David. The time came. God's timing is perfect as we've studied together. What a way to see what we've studied culminate in what Luke says here in chapter 2. We not only see that a child is born by humble means in our first point, we also see, secondly, the dishonored are given honor. The dishonored are given honor in verses 8 through 14. Look at these with me, if you would. We sang much about this this morning, didn't we? And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom... He is pleased. Can you imagine the scene? Uh, First of all, we know that shepherds are um, just a a rung below carpenter on the social ladder. And guess what? There's no one lower on that social ladder rung. Shepherds are the lowest of the low. And they're out doing what they do. They're out at night and they're tending their sheep. And suddenly, angels appear to them. The dishonored giving honor. In the same region, this is localized. That Though the wise men are, are on the lookout from afar, we, we see that these are those who are nearby where Jesus is born. So we see here those who are nobodies being given the honor of the announcement of Messiah. Look again at what it says uh, They were 
fearful as we would expect them to be (laughs) with this appearance of these angels. And notice what it says in verse 10. And the angel said to them, fear not. The angel says to them, fear not before behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. The lowest of the low. Hey, guess who gets to hear this news first? This is not just for you, lowly shepherds. This is for all the people. Can you imagine? Perhaps they're thinking, maybe they stopped in at the palace first to let um, someone higher up than us know this. No, this is news for all the people, and you're the first, dear shepherds, to hear this. In a spectacular way, those are who are most, the most dishonored in society are honored by God. And this is said to the angel, by the angels to be good news for all the people. Perhaps to show that this is for all people, God begins with the most lowly. And what is this good news? Notice he says, first of all, unto you. Unto you. Unto the ones who were hoping for Messiah. Unto the ones who were believing that Genesis 3.15, the seed promise would come to fruition someday. Unto you, a Savior is born. Remember, the name Jesus means what? He will save His people from their sins. A Savior who is Christ. We must remember as we're studying the New Testament Scriptures that the word Christ is the Greek term for Messiah. He is truly the Savior, Jesus, who is Christ. He is the Messiah, the Anointed One. And He is also the Lord. The Lord, that term that we've been looking at in the Gospel of John together in in, in our studies previous to Advent, The Lord meaning the idea of Yahweh, God. The the terminology that Jesus uses when He says, I am, the word in the Greek for Lord that was used of Caesar. When they thought Caesar was, uh, they, they should have worshipped Him as a God. No, this is truly God. At a time when Caesar thought He was God. So much information here about the Nature of Jesus, every single aspect that, uh, of this is disputed by those in Jesus' day and in our day. The Pharisees disputed his pedigree. They disputed his messiahship. They disputed his relation to God, his deity. And dear ones, we recognize today that all of these are disputed as well in our day. <clears throat> Interestingly, Daryl Bach points out that there is nowhere else in the New Testament that these three titles appear together, but that, quote, all three titles appear frequently in the Old Testament, which supplies important background to their meaning here, end quote. So, as we know that these three titles are disputed throughout Jesus' earthly ministry, and they're disputed today, dear ones, we receive these things by faith, in the word of God, which he has given to us by his Holy Spirit. We are people of the word of God. And we see the coming together of these things 
through what has been prophesied, now being fulfilled in Christ. If you're here this morning and you think that Jesus was merely a good man or even a fairy tale, you are mistaken. I implore you to turn from your sin and trust him today. The angels continue to tell them that there will be a sign for them. Again, they, uh, the, the underprivileged are privileged to be the ones to whom this is given. This is what you're to look for. You're to look uh, for him not in the palace, not even in the lowliest of ends. You're to look for him in a stall, lying in a feeding trough, surrounded by animals swaddled in rags. This will be assigned to you, verse 12. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. This was the sign that they were given. The underprivileged, privileged to be the ones to whom it is given. Then there is an outburst of praise. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now there's some important matters for us to understand here. This is of God. Excuse me, these angels coming to proclaim this to these shepherds. This is of God. This is for his glory. The glory goes to him. Glory to God in the highest. This is what you've been waiting for. This is God's promise fulfilled. This is Genesis 3.15, the seed promise. This is um, uh, Genesis 49 and verse 10, the, 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 the promise of the scepter rising. Shiloh has come. Peace. The glory goes to God. Peace among men with whom he is pleased, upon whom God's favor rests. It's Another way to put it, this uh, line is often misunderstood because of the way uh, it is translated in some translations, um, <clears throat> peace on earth, um, <clears throat> goodwill to men. Uh, the phrase connotes rather uh, to us an idea of peace between God and men, and then because of that, men and men. Uh, we talked last week a little bit about the, t- the timing of Jesus coming to earth, being known as the Pax Romana or the peace of Rome. This was a peace that was derived through military force. Here the angels give hope of the true peace of reconciliation between God and man. Because we are at odds with God. We are his enemies, Paul says. But even while we were Christ's enemies, even while we were sinners, Christ died for us. As mentioned earlier, Jesus is Savior. He is Messiah. And he is Lord. The truth is that at the fall, the peace that existed between God and mankind was broken. And in God's imminent plan for his own glory, he provided a means for his glory to be shown through reconciliation. Undeserving men who have sinned and rebelled against God, restored to a right relationship with God. Shalom, peace with God, peace between God and man. At the expense of his son, taking the wrath of God that was to be placed upon man and giving to those who would believe the righteousness of Christ. The events surrounding this humble birth and this glorious announcement are about peace between God and those whom before the foundation of the world God made a promise to the Son to come and rescue. But the means by which that was accomplished would mean God, the eternal Son, humbling himself in order to do so. Do you understand that you and I are undeserving of glory? 
Do you understand the Son of God deserving glory and how in the incarnation, the birth of Jesus, he received and would receive that which he does not deserve so that those who would repent and trust in him would receive that which they do not deserve? Grace and mercy and peace with God, a right relationship with God against whom you have rebelled. Not only this, not only, as we mentioned last week, being forgiven of our sins, not only being given the righteousness of Christ, but being adopted into his family. If you've not, would you please turn from your sin and trust in him today? If you have trusted in him, recognize and glorify God, just as the angels did in the fulfillment of this. Glory to God in the highest. And recognize the peace that has been given to you and me because of Christ coming. The reconciliation of God and man. Give glory to God today. We've seen this child born by humble means in verses 1 through 7. And then we saw the dishonored are given honor in verses 8 through 14. Then lastly, number 3, we see those that were honored proclaim and ponder. Those that were honored Proclaim and ponder in verses 15 through 20. Look at those verses with me if you would. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it, wondered at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. The humble shepherds make their way to see this miracle, to meet Messiah. They go and they find This one, this one that was prophesied, that they surely knew about, having heard, perhaps growing up, of the coming Messiah. They come to the stall and they find the baby with Mary and Joseph, the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told in them concerning this child. So it seems as if we, if we understand this properly, they even perhaps say to, to Mary and Joseph, are you the ones, is, is this Jesus? Is he the one who was promised? Is this the Messiah, the, the Lord, the Savior? And then upon that confirmation, perhaps even as they're running to, they're saying, come and see with us what the angels have proclaimed to us. All who heard wondered. All who heard their proclamation were amazed. Again, uh, Daryl Bach points out that this is not some sort of saving faith, but just an, an awe of how these things can be. This is the wonder of, can this be true? Has Messiah really come? You know, one thing that we have lost, I think, in our day is our awe. A-W-E, our sense of wonder and awe. In this day, in the day that this is happening, there's no newspaper, there's no internet, there's no television to tell these matters, but simply word of mouth. 
As I mentioned at the timing, uh, when we talked about the timing in Galatians 4, I'm convinced this is one of the reasons why the Father sent the Son when he did. The plan of the Father is that there would be underwhelming evidence that the Messiah has come and that people would need to watch Jesus grow and become a man and then witness his miracles, the signs that attested to his claim to be the eternal Son of God and the earthly Son of Man. Even with these confirmations, he was, as Isaiah says, despised and rejected of man, and according to the Father's plan, placed upon a tree. The wonder, the amazement continued into the ministry of Jesus, as we've been seeing in the Gospel of John, but some only believed in him for what he could do for them, rather than seeing him as God of very God, reconciling man unto unto God. Have we lost our awe, our wonder, and we're, we're um, rightly excited, maybe even painfully awaiting Christ's return. And that's good. I hope that we have that trajectory in mind in our worship. <clears throat> but have we lost our awe and wonder of who Jesus truly is, even now as one who has been Eternally, Son, forever, but united to humanity for the reason for which it had to occur? Are we in awe of the gospel? In awe of what Christ has done? Are we in awe of the fact that He is alive today, seated at the right hand of the Father because the work is done? And yes, awaiting the time for His enemies to be made His footstool finally and fully. Are we in awe of all of it? The question still remains, perhaps, for some of, some of you as you hear these words, what have you done with Jesus? What have you done with these truths that you certainly maybe have never heard before or maybe you're very familiar with them and you've never turned from your sin and trusted in him? Bach puts it so well in regard to the shepherd's proclamation, quote, the report tickles the crowd's ears, the, the report tickles the crowd's ears, but it may have missed their hearts, end quote. Don't let that be you today if you maybe are in awe because you hear this and you're reminded of childhood memories. Rather, think of who Jesus is and what he has done. Luke goes on to say, Mary, though, in the midst of this, pondered. She pondered. One Greek lexicon says, to give careful thought to give careful thought on these things. What has been her part in this? You know, Mary was maybe 14, 15 years old when she gave birth to Jesus. She had been told by an angel that the Son of God would be miraculously conceived within her womb, and now she holds this one who is Savior, Messiah, and Lord. Very God of God, and yet also the Son of Man. Amber and I have had the privilege not only of holding our own babies right after they were born, but going and seeing many babies just after they're born and holding them. There's nothing strong or Savior-like or Messiah-like or Lord-like about a baby. That helpless little one wriggling in your arms soon after they are born into the world. Helpless, but for his or her parents. The same was true of Jesus. 
helpless in one sense, but for the earthly mom and adoptive father and fully dependent upon his heavenly father who would protect his life until at just the right time he would be delivered over to men to be crucified for the sins of men. We studied last week in Galatians 4, 4, and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. What a glorious truth. What a, what a reason for us to, once again, recapture our awe this morning. <clears throat> Uh, what, a, what a tremendous truth as we consider uh, what we celebrated in the incarnation of Jesus just a couple of days ago to, to consider the fact that we need to continue to ponder these things as Mary did and to consider the entire life of Jesus in his perfection, in, in the way in which he uh, showed himself to be both son of God and son of man, in the way in which he was placed upon that tree. The awe of the moment... Where in messianic fulfillment, he cries, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that moment, taking the judgment of the triune God upon himself that we deserved. And bearing away our sin and giving us his righteousness. God made him, that is Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf so that we might be the righteousness of God in him. Second Corinthians 5.21 if you're a believer this morning, recapture your awe. If you're here this morning and you've not bowed your knee, not simply to a baby born in a manger, but the one who created you and then came as the one he created and lived and died to make you right with God, would you today bow your knee? There is no other name under heaven and earth by which men will be saved. That is, being reconciled to God in a right relationship with him instead of being condemned for your sins. If that is you this morning, would you come and speak with me after uh, we're done here in a few minutes? I'd love to share with you again the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Church, believers, it says in verse 20 that the shepherds return, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. We're so easily trapped in the idea of compartmentalizing our lives. My church life, my work life, my family life. Are we living like these shepherds? (laughs) Are we seeking to tell those God has placed in our midst about the reconciliation God has made through Christ? Are you... Glorifying and praising God for all you have heard and all that's been told to you from the scriptures. Are you coming alongside of those in the local assembly who profess faith in Christ and walking with them as they seek to walk with Christ? Are you inviting others to be a part of your life so that when you lose your sense of awe, you can be encouraged say, I've lost my sense of awe. Help me. Let's commit to praising God by living in a way that reflects who He is and what He has done in reconciling us to Himself. He has shown His favor upon us. We live this way not to earn favor, but because He has shown us favor. Would you join me in prayer?
Lord, this morning we pray in all of our time in Advent and thinking about the coming, Lord Jesus, your coming. And we pray that you would help us to be in awe. Not in some sort of just emotional way, Lord, though emotion is good and we need to have emotion, but in the way in which we stand, Lord, in awe of you. In the glory that you deserve, in the glory that we can give to you by proclaiming your name. By living our lives in respect to what you have called us to in obedience, not to earn anything, but because the the favor has already been earned. And, and, And in that is much joy and delight. It is the outcome of our justification that we would walk in holiness. But Lord, it's about worship and worshiping you. I pray for those who do not know you, who may be in our midst this morning or watching via live stream, Lord, that they this morning would turn from their sin and trust in Christ alone. And may we rejoice as we go forth this week and then into a new year, proclaiming who you are, Lord, and your great reconciliation between God and men. Peace with those whom God is pleased. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.